Thank you very much, and good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're here at Wyoming Valley Church. Welcome to those that are watching online as well. Yeah, this, this week has been a special week for the Walker family. Uh, as a proud grandpa, I'm, uh, I'm excited about Walker children, and uh, to have Thurman born this week has been a great joy. But, I, but I'll tell you, this, I need to tell you the story from my perspective, okay? Monday, Tuesday, Monday night, Monday evening, Tuesday all day, and then uh, Wednesday morning, I was scheduled for several months, maybe over a year, to speak at a youth workers conference out at Spruce Lake Retreat Center, which is out in the Poconos near Canadensis and so on. So I was scheduled to speak to present a workshop to the youth workers from all over Ohio and and uh, Delaware and New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York, and it, I mean, it was, we had a great time. But I was scheduled to speak on Tuesday morning from 11 until 12, and I was speaking. So I get up in, the, in my workshop on, on Tuesday morning at 11 o'clock, and I tell the group, listen, uh, my, because it is, it is, at, right, it is all about me, right? I mean, yeah, right to grand, grandchild, yeah. So I said, my 10th grandson, my 10th grandchild is going to be born during this workshop. And so please forgive me. If my phone vibrates, I'm going to look at it because I want to know, okay? So uh, I started at 11 and for, uh, and Janine was scheduled for her C-section at 11.30, right? Okay, so I... Uh, you know, I don't know how that stuff works, so it's like I'm out of position or whatever. But so my phone was strangely quiet for the first half hour. In fact, 1130 went by and I, you know, I had my phone in my pocket and I brought it out and, you know, so I could see the time and I'm looking at my phone and it was a little bit after 1130 that Todd sent out a group text, which you said, it we're going in or it's go time or something like that. So I looked at my phone and I actually said to the crowd, I said, okay, uh, this, it, it's, it's going to happen. Janine's going in. And that was like 1135-ish. Okay. Well, what I didn't know is for the next, I mean, that, that I, I guess I should have been smart enough to figure this out. But for uh, that, that um, was actually a group text. There are in-laws, there are other siblings, uh, there is Grandma Peggy who's home with all the kids, who is on more pins and needles than me, you know, and so I don't know how many people you sent it to, but for the next few minutes, I mean, my phone blew up, and I'm looking at all of them, you know, I'm like, you know, and I'm like, let me tell you about youth ministry, let me tell you about youth, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, my, my and, and so... Yeah, and so I got done um, because youth workers, you know, want to go eat um, at, at noon and, and still didn't know, you know, and so it ended up that Thurman was uh, on time, I mean, in God's timing, right, right, right at noon on Tuesday. And so then um, I had, uh, I, yeah, I, I was looking at like a text and Todd sent out a thing on, on Facebook Messenger so that there was a picture of the little guy and 
you know, and all of that kind of stuff. So I didn't even know until after my session that I had, again, because it's all about me, right, <laughs> that I had a new grandchild. But uh, anyway, that was my day. And uh, yeah, I, uh, so Grandma Peggy is surviving. She's watching, I beg, and uh, with, with some of the children today. And so thank you for praying for our family, and we're really excited, as you can tell. I, I want to talk with you about Peter this morning. And Peter's a guy who went on this journey that I think, I think all of us are on the same journey, to be real honest with you. Peter was a, a personality, a big personality in Scripture. He was one of the first apostles that Jesus called. He was the guy that often uh, spoke and then thought later. He was that guy. He was that guy that often a lot of commentators would put his foot in his mouth, would put both feet in his mouth, right? That, that was Peter. And yet, the passage that I want to talk with you, which is um, incredibly part of the Easter, the death, the crucifixion, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is Peter's story is intricately involved in that whole thing, went from a guy who was all talk to uh, all in. And that's what I want to talk with you about this morning, okay? Talking is important to us, right? It is. We are humans. We need to communicate. Humans, that, that's really, really important. Um, according to Wikipedia, which I'm sure that you can trust everything Wikipedia says, right? That in the um, English language, there are actually over 171 thousand words in the English language. That's a lot of words, right? Now here's the thing. The average American uses in their lifetime, I mean has a vocabulary of about 20 to 30 thousand words that we, we use. That's a lot of words. Which, I mean, that's a lot of words. And, and it is until you play Scrabble. And then how many, you know, how many three-letter words, you know, it's like, okay, the, you know, or what, whatever. And, uh, yeah, your kind of mind goes blank or whatever. Now, here's, here's the thing I'm sure all of you are interested in. And I'm probably, uh, those of you that are watching online, if I get uh, stoned or people throw things at me at this moment, uh, then, then help me. Somebody come help me if that happens, okay? But, but here's the thing. According to an article that was in the Scientific American, that sounds... Legit, right? Scientific American, okay? Now, here's the thing that's going to get me in trouble. The average woman speaks 20,000 words a day. That's a lot of words. The average man speaks about 7,000 words a day. And there's been a lot of researchers who have tried to debunk, you know, that theory or whatever. And I'm not sure of the gender of the researchers who have tried to debunk that, that theory. But um, my family um, is from this long line. If Christy were watching this today, or if Peggy, Peggy is watching this today, then they and probably Todd a little bit, then they would uh, certainly say amen to this. I, I'm from a long line that has dominated, I mean, there, it's been five generations in my family with no girls. Okay, my grandpa Walker, we were talking about this out there. 
My grandpa Walker was one of 13 all boys. All boys. No wonder my great-grandma quit, right? I'm not getting my girl enough's enough, 13. My grandma, my grandma Walker married one of them. I've told you the story before, way before my time, and he passed away early. So she married his brother. Like, why not? There's 12 more coming, right? Uh, my dad... Um, my dad has a my uh, my dad is a half sister, a different dad, but my dad is all boys. I, I I have only brothers. My cousins are all boys. My older brother had all boys, and uh, so Christy uh, broke the mold in our family. You know, we have ten grandchildren now, and six of them are boys. Four of them are little girls, and uh, yeah, we watched girls. You know, they they know they can get anything they want from from grandpa, but I'm from a long line of male. And you're not going to believe this because of what I'm even doing today, of male non-talkers. Okay, walkers, not, not talkers. Um, at our dinner time, we would always have dinner together. We would have meals together, and that was really important. But I don't remember ever. And for, and for a lot of those years, when I was growing up, my grandpa Walker lived with us. And uh, he was the consummate one-on-one -on -one personality if, if I would take him fishing, he would talk then. But at the house, I mean, at dinner time, he never would say one word. Somebody would pray, and then we'd eat. So it's my grandpa Walker, my dad, three brothers, an older brother, me, my younger brother, and my mom. And somewhere along the line, my mom realized it is futile to talk to these guys. And so we believed that at dinner time, you eat, don't talk. There was never, there was never a conversation. Well, in college, I met Peggy, and uh, Peggy, Peggy's from Iowa, and I would start taking Peg uh, home on weekends up to Montrose with my family or whatever, and, and all of you, I mean, in one way or another, know Peggy. And so we, she would help my mom make dinner or whatever, Sunday afternoon dinner, and my mom would put on a roaster, you know, some big meal or whatever, and we'd sit down, and my dad would pray. And my dad, would, my dad loved the Lord, he loved God, he loved the church, but my dad's prayer was like, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the food, amen. And then we'd eat. And Peggy's family, I mean, right then, Peggy would then kick into conversation. In fact, Peggy would think, um, if no one else is talking, sorry, Peg. Uh, yeah, that she would one that should talk. And so she's like, uh, well, hey, how's the weather today? And... You know, on the way up, we saw a deer, and, you know, and, and, and you know, and my, my grandpa would do this, you know, he, and then he'd look at me like, what did you bring home? And my dad would look up and look at her, not a word, and my mom would be like, oh, was it a buck or a doe, and the weather, you know, my mom would, my mom was programmed not to talk either, you know, and so that was... That was our family, so I'm not sure that uh, the Walker clan has uh, debunked or proven that theory of how many words men or women talk or whatever, but that's talking, right? You know, uh, words, I, I just jotted these down. You know, words are important in uh, 171,000 words in the English language. You know there's some new ones this year? They've added words to the dictionary. You've heard that, right? Can I give you that? I'm going to play. I'm going to pretend I'm Pastor Todd and do a top ten list. <laughs> New words in the dictionary 
in, uh, and I'll do a quiz, right? And, and in 2020 and 2021, new words. Okay, here's one. Goat. What does it mean? Greatest of all time. But the word, it's an acronym across, you know, it's go. Okay, here, here's another one, LOL. La- laugh out loud. Here's another one, um, which I'm not sure the pron- pronunciation, and it doesn't quite work. FOBO. Somebody knows this. Huh? Fear of being left out, which I know the left is gone, but FOBO. Fear of being, that's in the dictionary now. Here, here's another one. Um, ish, I-S-H, like it's uh, 11 o'clock, ish. I guess that's, a, that's, that's a word now. Here's another one, over leveraged. You know what that means? You're in incredible, you, you are in an incredible amount of debt, but you don't want to call it that. Over leveraged. <laughs> Cancel culture. That's, that's in the news, right, where that's, uh, uh, you know, you want to just get rid of somebody's reputation or get rid of somebody or whatever, cancel culture. Eco-anxiety. You're afraid of the economy. Eco-anxiety. Uh, here's another one that's, that's brand new in the dictionary. Second gentleman. What's that mean? It means that we have a female vice president, and her husband is the second gentleman. And the last one, which is now a word, which is in the dictionary, is MacGyver. <laughs> Pastor Todd, what does that mean? You're welcome. That means you can do a lot of good things. Basically with nothing. Yeah, that's a verb. You can MacGyver something. You know, that, who knew? MacGyver was a TV show. That was Todd's favorite show when he was growing up. This guy could, uh, you know, this guy could disarm a nuclear bomb with a paperclip. I, I don't know. I, I just made that one up. But words. Now, here, here's the thing. Here's the last part of my introduction. That if somebody is all talk, what's the rest of that phrase? All talk, no action. Okay, all talk. Peter went from being all talk and maybe no action to somebody who was all in, where ultimately Peter was also, history tells us, not necessarily the scriptures, although the scriptures foretold this, that Peter was actually crucified also for his faith. History says there were historians that wrote about Peter's death, that before he died, and the Bible tells us about Peter's mother-in-law, so Peter was married somewhere along the line, even though he was a follower of Jesus. Before he was, died, before he was killed, uh, Peter was forced to watch his wife being crucified. Peter was turned to be crucified. And he begged the authorities that he wasn't worthy to be crucified like Jesus. And so he asked them if he would be crucified upside down. And Peter was crucified upside down. The Bible actually tells that story that Jesus says at the end of John that someday you're going to go through that 
too, my paraphrase. Peter definitely was all in. Now, I want to tell you about today, how that happened. If you have your Bibles, I want to talk to you about two chapters of the Bible. And then we're going to zero in on two incredibly important passages within those two chapters. So if you have your Bible, if you have your Bibles, please turn there. If you have a device, then, then open your Bibles, whatever you have. To, Luke chapter 22 and chapter 23. Now, for time's sake, again, we're going to zero in on two different passages in these chapters. But um, by the magic of Microsoft uh, PowerPoint, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the narrative the story of what is happening in Luke chapter 22 and 23, and then we'll zero in on two passages. Chapter 22 of Luke begins with the Jewish Passover feast in Jerusalem. For those of us today and those of us that are Gentiles, that that was a big deal. That was a big deal. Jerusalem is the capital city. Jews came from all over to Jerusalem, so the city was packed. Today is Palm Sunday. Jesus had already come back to Jerusalem, and he used this borrowed colt and came in. You know the story. They, the people honored him as a king by throwing the palm branches below, and, 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 and Jesus was there in Jerusalem. But in the beginning of Luke 22, it was the Jewish Passover feast. The city was packed with people. The beginning of that chapter also tells us a little bit about the plot, the underground plot to begin the process to kill Jesus. In fact, Jesus later on says, like, you know, you had access to me all along, and yet they went through this plot. Part of the plot was Judas, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, went to the authorities, went to the Jewish authorities, the priests, and for money agreed to sell out Jesus. He agreed that, that when the time came that he would go to Jesus. Now, think about that. Most people, I mean, he'd already had the celebration, the Palm Sunday celebration, but that he would go and kiss Jesus which meant you know, sign of greeting, a sign of affection, certainly, but that would be the sign to the soldiers and to the authorities that that was the guy who claimed to be king and claimed to be God. And, and uh, that, that was Ju- So Ju- Judas was a part of that plot for money. In Luke 22, there's also the story about how Jesus met with his disciples in an upper room. That The chapter tells us about how they found this house, which was basically in downtown Jerusalem, they found this house who the owner agreed to let Jesus with his 12 disciples have an upper room, have a, have a dinner. You've known, you, you've seen the painting, you know, the upper room, the disciples, and they laid down tea, which is kind of, kind of a weird thing for our culture today, but they did that. It was there that Jesus instituted the Last Supper, which now it kind of makes sense, the Lord's Supper. And he talked to them about what that means, the broken body, his broken body and his blood that would shed for sin, the blood that would cover our sin. And Jesus did that. It was there after that that even some of the disciples 
had kind of an argument about who would be greatest. And that's in Luke 22 as well. And then also in Luke 22, and we're going to talk about this, Jesus predicts that, G that Peter would deny him. It's there that Peter was all talk. Oh, Lord, oh, well, I'll read it to you in a minute. You know, I'll never do that. I'll never deny you. I'll die if I have to. My, my paraphrase, Peter, all talk. And, of course, he did deny him. We'll read that later on. In Luke 22, there's also the story of how Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'll show it to you at the end, but the picture that I had in the very beginning was an actual picture of the Garden of Gethsemane. Some of you have maps in your Bible, and it has the city of Jerusalem and a wall and the gates to the... Uh, East of the city of Jerusalem was the Garden of Gethsemane. They had to go out, they had to walk through town, they had to walk outside of town and into this garden, which is still there today. And that's where Jesus was betrayed and so on. And so they prayed. It was there that he asked Peter, James, and John to come with him and pray. And Jesus prayed so intently that there were drops of blood. Peter, James, and John fell asleep praying. I've done that quite a bit, praying, fell asleep praying at night. Jesus said to them, what? You couldn't even watch and pray with me for an hour and kind of scolded them about that. It was there in the Garden of Gethsemane after the prayer that Judas shows up with a crowd he had been there at the Last Supper. He had been there for that. He must have gone out and got this. We, we've seen on the news about crowds and insightful, you know, the, the inciting of the crowds and those kinds of things. The soldiers, the priests, and a crowd literally came to the garden and surrounded Jesus. In a show of boldness, that's where Peter caught off the ear of the servant. And Jesus had already told him, don't do that. And Jesus then healed the ear and kind of incredible, but from the people that were going to crucify him, he puts the ear back on, only Jesus. And Jesus is arrested, exclamation point. Jesus is arrested and taken. It's amazing how that mob was led mostly by religious people. And Jesus was arrested and taken before the authorities, Pontius Pilate and the chief priest and those kinds of people for this mockery of a trial. And it's there in Luke 22 that Peter denies Jesus. I'm going to talk with you about that in just a minute. Luke 22 is also, in 23, it also tells us a story about how Jesus is mocked for what he said. He's beaten, brutally beaten. Prophecy. The Old Testament tells us that he was beaten beyond recognition. It was that bad. Jesus was beaten before he was even crucified. And yet he faced the human authorities, Pilate, who said, I've examined him and I find no fault in this man. And yet he was willing. He couldn't find anything wrong. He did. And yet he was willing to release Jesus to the, to the mob that literally was out after blood. 
It was in Luke 22 and 23 that the crowd, there was a Jewish custom. At Passover, you release somebody as a sign of grace, as a sign of mercy. Barabbas, some of you know the story, was um, uh, an undercurrent, tyranny, insurrectionist, rebellion. And they said, release Barabbas! And crucified Jesus. And so Barabbas was released. And it's in Luke 22 and 23. In the story, it tells us about the... He was crucified with, um, with two thieves on either side of him. One mocked Jesus. If you're Jesus, take yourself down. And Jesus promised the other one is a show of faith. Today you'll be with me in paradise. And it's... There that Jesus died on the cross. Luke 22 and 23 tells us a story about how they got somebody to carry the cross, but they found somebody who had a tomb, a fresh tomb, and Jesus is buried. And then Luke 24. He is risen death couldn't beat jesus the grave couldn't beat jesus the cross couldn't be all of that in god's plan and luke 24 he's risen next sunday's easter and come and, and bring people he is risen he's risen indeed right we serve a risen savior he's in the world today today because he's alive. And you know the old story. You can go to the grave of Muhammad. You can go to the grave of Confucius. You can go to their grave. They're in there. Jesus ain't there. He's at heaven. And he's at the right hand of the Father. And he's with us. And he's in our hearts. And he's here. We serve a risen Savior. Now in all of that is the story of Peter. Let's go back. That's, that's what happens. So Palm Sunday, let's go back and talk about Peter. If you'll have your Bibles, I want you to look, and you have this in the notes. I want you to look at uh, Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 31, and I'll read down through verse 34. 31 through 34. And Peter went from being all talk, we'll see that here, to being all in for Jesus. And what I'm going to do today is talk to you about how that happened. The transformation, which I think maybe is incredibly practical for us today. So here's the text. Let me read it. And the Lord said, in verse 31, Simon, Simon, Peter, indeed, Satan has asked for you, my goodness, that he may sift you as wheat. But I, Jesus said to Peter, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Verse 33. And here's where Peter is all talk. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death until they took him. And I'll read it to you. I'll read it to you in just a minute. This tough 
I'll, go, I'll, I'll die for you, Jesus. Cut off the ear, that guy. To get out of the boat, walk on water, that guy. The Peter, the mouthpiece. A little girl makes him back down. With just moments after this, Peter was that all-talk guy. And Jesus said, verse 34, I tell you, Peter, you can be, you can say you're this tough guy. I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me three times, before you deny three times that you even know me. Um, I talked about words today and all that. I, I love to read. I love books. I love to write. I love to do that. Do you, do you, ever, do you ever read a novel and skip to the, to the end because you want to know? So, Peter, let's skip to the end. I already told you how he died. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes this, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation at the end times when Jesus comes, that your faith may be real, that your faith may be genuine. And why could Peter write that under inspiration of God? Because that's the end of the story. Peter was greatly used by God and his faith was real, his faith was genuine. And he even writes about that in his letter, writing to people that your faith would be real. So Peter's saying today to us, the lesson is that God wants our faith to be real, that God wants our faith to be genuine. And that's even what Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed for Peter, and he says, again, Mel's paraphrase, he prayed, Jesus prayed for Peter, and he said, Peter, I, I pray for you that your faith would be real, that your faith would last, that your belief in God. So let me, I'm going to do two different little outlines you have on the front page one, two, three, four, and then we're going to go to another passage and fill in a chart, which you don't have to write very much, but you can if you want that's there. <clears throat> so that's what we're going to do. Number one is just, let me just give you some reminders from the life of Peter in this story. That passage that I just read, where the Lord said to Peter, Peter, I pray for you. Let me tell you four reminders. Number one, and you can fill in the blanks on the orange sheet of paper today. And for those of you that are watching online, I posted in JPEGs on the, on the church Facebook page, so you can have the notes there as well if you want. But if you go there, there's a fill-in-the-blank thing. Here's number one. We are in a spiritual warfare. We are. We've talked to you about that here. That is very, very real. It is, it is true that uh, the Bible talks about that, that we wrestle not necessarily against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness. We are in a spiritual warfare. Here's what happened in this passage. Here's what happened. And that is Satan accused Peter to Jesus. One of the things that I want you to know, if you would sometime, I put it in notes, look at Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, Satan is actually called the accuser of the brethren. 
Satan is doing that today. Satan is accusing us, and he works. Satan is also the prince of the power of the air. Satan is also a liar. All of those things are what the Bible calls Satan, prince of darkness. And Satan loves to accuse us. Satan loves to tell God and tell us that we're bums. We can't have victory. We can't live for Christ. That you'll never do this. You'll never live this way. That's Satan. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. We are in this spiritual warfare. In fact, Revelation chapter 12, that he's going before God night and day, accusing believers. Here in this passage, it says there in verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, or again, my paraphrase today, this is serious. Satan has asked for you. Ask for his soul. Ask for him. He, give me Peter. That he may sift you as wheat. In that culture, when they would harvest the wheat, they had this process where they would put the, the grain and, and sift it, right? You know how that works, right? You know what the word sift means? It means literally to shake violently. (laughs) That's enough. I got a headache. Okay, no. To sift violently. You know, that's that's what Satan's doing today. Satan would love to shake your faith. Satan would love to shake us shake our faith and he often uses again you can study God's word where it tells about Satan's strategy it's the same today he's powerful but he doesn't change from what he did in Bible times and Satan would love to shake you and shake my faith and he often does it like familiar things I think I mentioned this two weeks ago when I preached. I think, I, I think Satan would delight if our faith is shaken during COVID. I think Satan wins if God's people stay home and aren't involved in God's work. I think Satan wins if he shakes our faith. If he... If he can get us to be dominated by fear, if he can get us to be dominated by uncertainty, the Bible very clearly says God's not the author of confusion. And Satan to Peter... The rock. Do you notice in the text that Jesus talking to Peter changes the name from Simon to Peter? The rock, the stable. Peter, Satan is trying to shake your faith. He's trying to shake our faith too. And I think it's really important that God, or that Satan, can use things like friends or circumstances or money or health or peer pressure or whatever to shake our faith. 
and to get us from doing what God would have us to do. Number two, Jesus himself prays for us. I gave you some verses down there that talk about that. Isn't that, isn't that absolutely incredible? Jesus is still praying for us. Jesus, he said at the right, right hand of the Father. I mean, to, Jesus is praying to the Heavenly Father for me. Jesus is praying for me. That ought to have, that ought to have touched Peter's heart. That Jesus is praying for him. And Jesus is praying because he knew that Peter was about to be shaken for his faith. And Jesus is praying. Number three, this is, this is key, folks. And I think it's important. And to tell you the truth, I, I was getting ready for this, and I actually, a few weeks ago, preached at those two youth retreats. Remember that? I, I mean, I was, I was gone for a couple weeks. I actually preached on the life of Peter. And I saw something. Yeah, I, and I've been, I've been a believer for a long time. I've been a pastor for a long time. I taught at two different Bible colleges. And I never noticed this. Maybe you did and you're way ahead of me. Cool. The Lord said, verse 31, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And then this, and when you have returned to me, Strengthen your brethren. Number three, folks, listen, please. God always takes his people back. Remember the story, the prodigal son? I want my share. I'm going to live it riotlessly. And he totally blew it. And the father greeted him back with open arms. Folks, know this. God always takes his people back. I am so thankful that the idea of repentance, change, turn directions, turn around, go back. I am so thankful that 1 John 1.9 is in the Bible. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know what's going on in everybody's life who's hearing me or seeing me or is here today. God always, always, always takes his people back. Friends, all of us have a testimony of God's grace. All of us. I'm not... I'm not speaking out of school. I, my life is that too. I've told you my story before. I would love to say that, you know, that I'm, you know, this lily white goody two. I would love to say that this goody two shoes guy. I, you know, I, I've gone through some things too. God always takes his people back. For those that go back to him in repentance and confession, agreeing with God that it's sin, God is waiting with open arms. So if you feel that your life is messed up, if you feel that your life that you've screwed up your life and made bad bad choices, okay, confess that. Go back to God. He's there waiting with his arms wide open. I love the story of Peter. I love the story of John Mark because they screwed up. And God took them back.
Okay, that brings us to number four. God just doesn't take us back, but he gives us opportunities to encourage others. Listen to this. He said, I prayed for you that your faith should not fail, that you that when I'm gonna I'm gonna yell. You ready? I'm gonna yell right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna be this yelling. I already pounded on the pulpit. So I'm kicking in today, okay? Here's the yell part of it. When, not if. When you have returned to me. And then he says this. Strengthen your brethren. I don't care what your story is. I don't care what you did to screw up. I don't care what you did to make bad choices. You come back to God. God He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that means that God has given us an opportunity to minister to other people. That's what it means. God can always use your story. Whatever your story is. God can use your story. Because there's other people out there with the same story. 2 Corinthians, write this down. Chapter 1, verse 4, that God, the God of all comfort, gives us the ability, again, my paraphrase, 2 Corinthians 1, 4, that whatever you go through, God gives you that so that you can have an opportunity to minister to people who are going through the same thing. Whatever your story is, that often is a springboard for ministry to someone else's life who relates to your story. This is mine. I came to Christ when I was five. I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up as a church kid. That's what I know. Now, I, I messed up. I went through a lot of things in my life. I've told you about that before. I went through some th- areas of my life of sin, of things that were wrong, wrong priorities and stuff. But you know something? You know what I've done for the last 45 years of my life? Minister to church kids. If there's one thing I know, it's church kids. Kids that grew up in church. So I can have a minister. Whatever it is that you've gone through, when you come back, God always, always, always takes his people back. When we repent, we confess our sin, he cleanses us, he takes us back, and he gives us an opportunity to minister and encourage others. You. Whatever your story is, God can use that. And that's what ministry is all about. Now, I'm going to do this chart rapid fire. So get out your pen, get out your pencil, fill in the blanks for me. At the end, I'm going to walk around and make sure you did. I'm just kidding. And if you're online, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to come to you. No, I'm just just kidding. But I gave you the blanks. I gave you the chart on the inside. Let me look at one other passage in um, in this text. And then we'll be done. Let me start reading um, verse 54. Verse 54. This is after Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember I told you the story. Having arrested him. Verse 54. They led him and brought him to the high priest's house. But Peter followed him at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Verse 56, and a certain servant 
girl. Literally a word that means a little girl. Seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently, New King James, stared at him, and said, this guy, this man, was with him also. But he denied him, saying, woman, I don't even know him. After a little while, another saw him and said, you are, one, you are also one of them. Peter said, man, I'm not. Then about an hour had passed. He's sitting there by the fire. Another confidently affirmed. He knew what he's talking about, saying, surely this fellow, this guy was with him, for he's a Galilean. His act said, he'd give himself away. Man, I do not even know what you're saying, verse 60. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Listen to this. I have this double underlined in my Bible. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Which means look directly at him. Looked into his eyes. Then, when God looked at him, Peter remembered the word of the Lord. How he had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. I told you that. I used the PowerPoint gave you the narrative of these chapters. Peter kind of disappears from the story for a while. I would too. Denying the Lord. Until the resurrection, he realized that what Jesus said was true. Jesus did rise from the grave. He did rise from death. and He met with his disciples. And at the end of the story, he meets with Peter, John, last chapter. He meets with Peter. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Peter, follow me. The first thing, I've said this to you before. The first thing Jesus ever said to Peter, follow me. Learn from me. The last thing Jesus ever said to Peter, John, last chapter of John, follow me. Stay close to me. That brings us to the chart. I think in charts... Forgive me for that, but get out your pen, get out your pencil. Again, I'm going to walk, no, I'm just kidding. Okay? Number one, Peter's journey was from distance to dedication. Look what it says there. Peter followed him at a distance. That breaks my heart. Peter wanted a little bit of God. He wanted to see what was going on. There are people that are curious. They take him to the courtyard, which is outside of where the the courthouse thing was, the, the palace was, and he's there in the courtyard and the people build a bonfire and he's there warming himself. He sat among them. Peter followed him at a distance. Friends, I am absolutely convinced that there's a lot of people that are doing that exact thing today. I want a little bit of Jesus, but I'm not going to stay too close. I'm going to be a little bit of Jesus, but uh, don't ask me to be close. No wonder. The last thing, no wonder. The last thing Jesus ever said to Peter was, follow me, stay close to me, Peter. Stay close to me, Peter. You follow me, John 21, 22. 
Follow me. Stay close to me, Peter. So what's the practical advice, the action step here? Friends, stay close to Jesus. Learn from Him. Stay close to Jesus. That is, that is so important. In James, we went through James. James chapter 4, verse 8. Draw near to Him and He will draw near to you. Friends, I don't care. I don't know what you've gone through in your life. I don't know about bad choices. I don't know about how you screwed up your life. I don't know about that. Go to Jesus. Stay close to Him. He wants them. God always, always takes His people back. Draw near to Him. God's Word, prayer, praise, and worship. God's people, God's work, the church. Stay close to Jesus. Don't let COVID keep you away from Jesus. Don't let anything Stay close to Jesus. Peter's journey, number two, from convenience to commitment. Peter sat among them. They built a bonfire. The idea is that it was chilly out that night. They're the ones that had the fire. Peter sat among them. Peter, the one back in Matthew chapter 4 says that he immediately left his nets, his boat, and his father to follow Jesus. He left his goals, he left his possessions, he left his relationships to follow Jesus. Those are often the same things that keep us from following Jesus today. Goals, what I want to do with my life. Possessions, stuff, and relationships. Somebody that we would pick instead of Jesus. Convenience instead of commitment. So what's the action step, folks? Make make Jesus a top priority. Peter had to learn that lesson. Jesus has to be first. Peter, Jesus said, John 21, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? No wonder Jesus asked Peter, those questions. Make sure that Jesus is top priority. Peter's journey was from faith to fear. (laughs) I get it. I'm a guy. A little girl makes Peter this rough, tough fisherman back down oh no I wasn't with him the other gospels talk about Pastor Todd talked with us about that that he swore he gave, oh, I'm not, I wasn't with him and he denied the Lord here's the convicting question I think of the day you ready for this who is it that would make us back down a little girl made this rough tough fisherman back down Often it's relationships, it's people that are close to us, people that we would be embarrassed to talk to them about Jesus. They make us back down. It made Peter deny, I don't even know Jesus, made him deny the Lord. Peter had to learn. And in Acts chapter 3, I told you a couple weeks ago, Peter's preaching Jerusalem is packed with people. 
after the resurrection, after Jesus went back into heaven, Peter is preaching and he says twice in Acts chapter 3, you denied Jesus. He said that to the crowd. Every single one of those people that were there, every single one could have said, Peter, wait a minute. Remember, remember Luke 22? You denied the Lord. Peter had gotten such victory of God over what he did that he was able to talk to other people about the very same sin. And so make sure that God gives you a boldness even after things, even things in your life that you've struggled with. If God has given you the victory, then that gives you a platform. And that gave Peter the platform because Jesus changed his life. And that gave him the platform for ministry. And then number four, Peter went from tears to genuinely legit trials. This is the part that gets to me. Peter is on, Jesus is on trial. And Peter is there by the fire. Peter had denied him three times. He backed down to a little girl. Who is it that would get us to back down? And then they take Jesus by on the way to Pilate. And Jesus turns and looks directly at Peter, looks at him in the eyeballs. And the look of Jesus was so powerful that it literally shattered Peter's heart. And he went out and wept bitterly, uncontrollably, because Jesus looked at him. You know, there's a story in the Bible, Genesis, you can jot this down, chapter 16, about Hagar. It's a story of Abraham and Sarah and how they tried to take things into their own hands. Abraham fathered an illegitimate baby with Hagar. Hagar is a servant. And in Genesis chapter 16, look it up. Study the story. Verse 3. Hagar, who had been humanly incredibly mistreated, called God, the God who sees. We need to know that God sees. That's, that's one of the names, Genesis 16.3. That's one of the names of God, the God who sees. And that, that is incredibly convicting. God sees what we do in our basement all along. He sees what we do on our phones, on our computers. He sees what we do with relationships. He sees. And friends, friends, that ought to be incredibly convicting. But the story of Hagar, that ought to be incredibly comforting too. Did you ever get mistreated? God knows. God sees. So did Jesus get mistreated. God knows. God sees. Peter was there by the fire. He denied the Lord three times, and Jesus looked at him. Jesus looked directly at him, and it broke his heart. It broke his heart. And he went out and 
wept bitterly. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes, The genuineness of our faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. Peter went through some trials and ultimately was crucified upside down for his faith. So Peter's a guy that could understand. Peter's a guy that could preach to others about that. Peter went through that incredible change because God changed his life. That's the key. Let God change your life. God always has taken his people back. Peter, at the end of his life, talked about genuine faith. So folks, use confession and repentance as a springboard to victory. For what God would have for you to do. That's the Easter story. He is risen. And his journey, Peter's journey, let that be a lesson to you for our journey as well. To realize that God can use what he's done in our life. The life change that only God can do. <clears throat> can be the springboard for victory and for ministry of what God wants us to live in our lives today. That's what God wants to do. The genuineness of your faith. God wants your faith to be real. So real it shows up in life. Jesus is praying that your faith should not fail. Genuine over the long haul. Peter's journey from all talk to being all in parallels our journey. And I trust that God would use his word in our hearts and our lives. And I'm going to pray in just a minute, so everybody here, and even if you're at home, bow your heads for a minute, please. Close your eyes and pray. This, is, this has been a hard message enough. It is. And it's been, it's serious enough. It's Palm Sunday. It's real, people. It's real. That we ought to respond to it. Don't ever, don't ever hear the word of God. Don't ever hear the Holy Spirit and walk away and don't do anything. Don't do that. Okay, so pray. And whatever it is that God has done in your heart today, you talk to God about it and let him work in your life. Let him change your life and then I'll pray and we'll be done. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving us Peter's story in the scriptures. Yeah, he, he denied you. A little girl made him back down. And others made him back down. He denied you. But when Jesus looked at him, it broke his heart. And the resurrection message of grace of Jesus Christ changed his life and Peter became this spokesman God that you used to change the world for Jesus and Jesus told him when you come back you'll strengthen others 
Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that even now you have arms that are wide open to take your people back. Father, forgive us if we're living our lives with a little bit of Jesus, following Jesus from a distance. God, you want us to follow him, learn from him, stay close to him, even today. God, you want us to stay close to Jesus. If we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. Your word and prayer and praise and worship and your house, your church, your people. Father, help us to draw close to Jesus. Father, if there's any here today that have wandered away from Jesus, they want a little bit of Jesus, but they're following him from a distance. God, help Father, my prayer would be, break your heart. You're the God who sees. Break their heart, but have them run back to you because you're there as a loving Heavenly Father with your arms wide open. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Easter. I thank you for Palm Sunday. I thank you for Good Friday. And I thank you for risen Savior. He has risen. He has risen indeed. And we serve a risen Savior. And it's in his name that I pray to you, Father. Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for letting me share my heart today from the Word of God. And uh, yeah, this is a great week, Easter. And absolutely... We serve a risen Savior.